as you may know, uh, we have over um, recent weeks been talking under the heading of Do It Again, um, of things of the miraculous, of the ministry of Jesus. And you know, some of the first things that Jesus taught, you can find them in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, 15, 16, and he's starting to unpack this there. And he says to the people around him, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah? It's right here. It's that close. It's that tangible. He can say this because he's the king of the kingdom. And for him to be present means the fullness of the kingdom is embodied. It's right there. And he says the kingdom of God is here. It's right here. The time. It's now. Repent and believe. If we're accepting that what Jesus says is true, uh, I hope we want to, then we have this opportunity to repent. That means to allow our thinking and, and, and our behavior that flows from our thinking to be changed. Does anybody ever think that they need to change their mind about anything ever? Yeah? Anybody, there's like four of us who are willing to change our minds tonight. We'll, we'll work on that percentage. And sometimes we need to change. And what does Jesus offer for those who are willing to change, to turn away from things that are perhaps a, a half or, or, or broken or incomplete in some way? He offers us belief. Belief. And belief means to just really grab a hold of all that God has and all that he is. To allow for the gift of faith within our life to be returned into the one who alone is worthy to receive it. I don't know what you're believing in this evening, but you know, if you're taking your life in your hands, I want to tell you, your life is incredibly precious. And there's only really one place that you can put it where it'll be not only safe, not only treasured, not only come to its completeness, but will flourish. And will actually grow in all of the promise and possibility that God has for you. Put your life in God's hands. That's what belief means. Belief me, it doesn't, it doesn't mean just like regurgitating or spouting things. It means I'm going to give my life in full submission and total hope into the hands of God. I'm going to say, Jesus, this life that you have crafted, this life that you have sustained and redeemed and are making new in every which way, it is wholly yours. Will you do with it as you will? Belief is a big thing. And that's why I hold big promise. I wonder this evening, does anybody want to be a believer? Yeah? I'm up to seven. I'm really going great guns tonight. We've gone from four people who are excited to seven people by the end of the evening, which is in about 14 hours' time. I just want to point that out to you. Uh, we'll all be in, if for no other reason than exhaustion. If you've got a Bible, uh, would you open up to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. I've realized one other reason why you might be stunned into silence is that I'm wearing shorts and, uh, and, and my milk bottle white legs are just truly offensive, so my apologies about that. But I was kicking a footy around in a back garden earlier on. And you can't do that in trousers. It's not right. So uh, you're just going to have to put up with it. Luke chapter 7. Really, really good story in the Bible. Um, let's read it together um, from verse 1 of that chapter. After he had finished all his sayings, he's been teaching a great deal um, about a number of things. Um, and uh, after finishing preaching this, he's been talking lastly there about building your house on something substantial, foundations deep in God, and that nothing then comes against you can knock you out. Um, after he finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant, and uh, what we're talking about here is a slave, okay, um, who was sick and at the point of death, 
who was highly valued by him, by the centurion. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him. Not when the centurion heard about Jesus, he thought about it for a while and thought, you know, that'll come in handy at some point in my life. I'm going to salt that away. I'm going to carry on living as normal. Um, I've heard about Jesus and all about him. I'm going to just carry on as normal and then maybe just maybe at some point this will become relevant. No, 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 no. When he heard, he acted. How are we with Jesus? Because I suspect most of us, if not all of us in the room tonight, have heard about Jesus. Yeah? When we hear about Jesus, do we respond? When we hear about Jesus, do we respond? Now you might say, well, it's pretty obvious for this centurion. He's got a slave who he values, highly values, at the point of death. No wonder he is responding in the moment to Jesus. But I want to say to you, realistically, it really doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. When you're encountering Jesus, can I urge you with all of my heart, follow the example of this centurion, respond. Respond. Don't wait. Don't put it in your back pocket. Don't put it in your bag or your wallet and say, at some point this is going to be useful to me. Don't go from this place this evening saying, oh, that was nice. Don't do it. I, I, I stopped a long time ago standing at the front door because, you know, well, for a number of reasons. But as, if I would stand at the front door as, as many folks would leave, I know you would all, you're all very polite. Um, you are, you're all very polite. And the way I say it, it makes it sound like it's not a good thing, is it? But there you go. You're all very polite. And you'd all say to me, that was lovely. And, you know, I'm not sure I could take any more. That was lovelies. Oh, that was nices. I don't want nice. I don't want lovely. When we encounter Jesus, there's more. We're talking about the one who is the fullness of life. He is the author of life. He is the hope of the whole world. When you encounter Jesus, let's not be people who say that was nice and then move on unchanged. Would you respond to Jesus? Would you respond to Jesus? Could you respond to Jesus? When he heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. Uh, centurion he's a Roman soldier okay and he's high ranking he's going to have a unit the the word means he has a hundred people under him and it might not have been exactly that but he's got a big unit of people but as a Roman authority he is the occupying force in the Jewish lands this land that God had promised to his people has been usurped by these Roman authorities and yet The Jewish elders allow themselves to be sent by the Roman leader and they go to Jesus and they just big him up. They talk about how wonderful this guy is. They say he's done this. He's worthy. Now we'll come back to the slightly dodgy theology later. But they clearly think highly of him. And Jesus is intrigued enough to go. It's interesting, actually, in the Bible, any time a centurion is mentioned in the New Testament, it's in a positive light. 
Um, mostly in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. But every time there's a centurion, an actual character in the story, they're positive people. I want to suggest to you, uh, when you're going about your business in your world, don't assume anything about anybody. Could I ask that of us? Don't assume anything about anybody. Don't think that you know what a person's going to be like. You know, we, we think we're better than judging books by their covers, but we do it all the time. Why does the Bible say that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the hearts? Because it's true. <laughs> we do it all the time. But here is this person who by right should be despised by the Jews and dismissed by Jesus. And yet they say he's worthy and Jesus is interested enough to start walking. And when Jesus was not far, verse 6 continues from the house, the centurion at that point, he sent friends saying to him, saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servants, my slave, do this, and he does it. I feel like I need a parenting class from this guy. You know, everything that he says to be done, it happens. This is not the way it happens in my house. I don't know any other parents of young kids. This does not resonate, does it really? You say do something and then the exact opposite happens. Isn't that the way? Um, but this guy, he's talking about authority here. When Jesus, verse 9, heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel... Have I found such faith? And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. What would it take to impress Jesus, do you think? How impressed would Jesus be by various things? What, what impresses you? I don't know. I think it would have impressed all of us if Liverpool would have won the league, wouldn't it? Uh, that's probably the last time. Stop it, you Evertonians. Um, that's the last time I'm going to mention it. Maybe may you think if the Champions League... This is impressive. These are the things that have sort of cachet and status within our world. In my newspaper today, the Sunday Times, it was the rich list. Yeah. Uh, do you, uh, who wants to read such things? They're just depressing and disgusting, aren't they, really? And, uh, and they tell you all sorts of statistics. I don't know why they tell you these things. But apparently, even to get onto the rich list, you would have to have £120 million to be last on the list. Goodness me, I think everyone would be last on that kind of list, wouldn't they? I'd be all right, wouldn't they? You know, we're okay with that. Uh, what would impress Jesus? Well, probably none of these things. A centurion, this leader in the Roman army, sends this word to Jesus. And then as Jesus travels, that same centurion says, you don't need to come. That's why I didn't come directly. Matthew, in his version of the story, kind of has the centurion coming directly. I think what Matthew's trying to say is for him to send people was as him coming. Uh, but here Luke emphasizes humility. And there's a slight different emphasis. But Luke is saying he didn't come himself. But he sent word saying, this is why I didn't come. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. And Luke says that Jesus was amazed at this man and his faith. I know this evening as we gather tonight, you know, 
as far as I'm aware, I think you, you all love Jesus. Yeah? And we think highly of him. Are there, any, are there any people here tonight that would like to amaze Jesus? Would any of you like to, a few of you are kind of, you're flicking a little hand up and you're thinking, you know, yeah, I think I could go for that. Seems to me that this, this story opens this intriguing and enticing possibility to us that we might amaze Jesus, that he might marvel, not because he doesn't know things, not because he's unaware, but there's something within our response to him, when we hear of him, when we know of him, that we come to him, that we're not laggards, but we come instantly and we come with humility and expectation that we might come in such a way, not that Jesus might say, oh, you caught me by surprise, but rather he might see what is happening within us and marvel at it and wonder at us. This same one we read in the scriptures, by him and for him, all things were made, that includes you and me. And yet we, simple, lowly creatures, might cause our creator to be amazed in wonder at what he has brought forth from us. That he might marvel at what is happening in our lives. Seems to me that Jesus loves people. Seems to me that Jesus loved this centurion. Seems to me that Jesus loves his heart. Seems to me that Jesus loves his faith. Seems to me that Jesus loves to do wonderful things in the lives of those he loves. And I wonder if we might be amazed about these things. And if Jesus was amazed by this man and impressed by his faith, we need to pay attention. And actually what we're dealing with here is the exercise of the authority of God's kingdom in the life of those who start to realize, even incompletely, what is happening. And they want to enter into it. What does the Bible teach us about authority? Well, actually, the Bible is, is littered with instruction for us. And from the very beginning, the Bible talks of people as those who are given authority under God. And in Genesis chapter 1, God says, Let's make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. <laughs> I don't know whether I want dominion over every creepy crawly. Maybe I do. Um, but God is here actually talking about his heart for people, the pinnacle, the very good of his creation to exercise dominion within his world. Meaning that we are to reign. Reign rightly. Reign in the heart and the character of God. Were it to be so, wouldn't we be looking at a world that isn't so ravaged by destruction, by the negative influences of humanity? And yet we lose sight of how we are meant to be in the world that God has made. We try to grasp dominion, try to force creation to our will, yet divorced from God and separated from him. We can't properly, properly exercise dominion in creation, can't properly exercise the stewardship that God intended for you and me, and yet in Christ, what might be open to us. In sin, humanity loses dominion, becomes servants, slaves of Satan and of sin. All who are in Adam likewise become slaves to sin. But Jesus comes into our story. 
as the last Adam, the beginning of newness. And he wins for us a victory like no other. You know, we sing these songs that speak of the victory of Jesus. We, we, we sing, the mountains shake and tremble, the demons run and flee. What else do we sing? He wears the victor's crown. Does anybody like to sing songs of the victory of Jesus Christ? Does anybody love this? It's because it's true. It's because it's true. And because it is true, because Jesus Christ has won this victory, we can live in victory as well. Romans 5 teaches us this, that if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Is your faith in Jesus this evening? Do you trust in him? Do you trust in him tonight? You're no longer a slave to sin. You no longer live under the, uh, under the rule and the reign of such things and the brokenness of humanity. You live according to Christ. In our story this evening, our centurion's words give evidence that he understands authority and its implications for life. In fact, in matters of life and death. And Jesus was amazed. Uh, can we begin to understand what God teaches about authority firstly we need to know about the source of kingdom authority there are many people trying to bend circumstances to their will Uh, many disappointments that come about that and many hurts and pains if we recognize that the source of kingdom authority comes from above then we're beginning down the right track We use it in in language, don't we? We say perhaps we're under somebody's authority or under levels of management or such things. We recognize that it stems from above. The centurion understood this in verse 8. He says, I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And he talks about what that looks like in reality. In coming to Jesus, the centurion is appealing to a higher authority. How does he describe Jesus? He says, Lord... He recognizes the authority of Christ. You know, imagine for a moment or two that a policeman comes and knocks on your door. Looking around to see if anybody's worried this evening. No, no, you're all good. Okay, but imagine if a policeman comes to knock on your door. You would open the door. Now, is it because the policeman is bigger than you? Well, maybe. Um, maybe a lot of things. But ultimately, the, the reason why we would open the door is because we believe that behind the policeman comes the authority of all of the police force. And behind them, there's the the authority of the the local authority and the the, the police authority. And behind them comes all of the authority of government. And behind the authority of government comes the queen. No, we wouldn't open up because of the queen, would we probably? But uh, she's a bit little. Um, But we recognize that it's not just one person knocking at our front door. There's all this authority that is bound up in one person. Likewise, in Christ, we have incredible authority because we recognize that though we be just one person, we are united with Jesus in everything. We go on a little bit further in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6, it teaches us that we are united with Jesus in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension. And in his enthronement, we are united with Christ in all these things. 
The Bible teaches us over and over again that we are just inextricably linked with him, that we're hidden with Christ in God, that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And we think our reality is based on what we see with our eyes, but the Bible teaches us our reality is based on what Jesus has done. It's based not on what we're facing, it's based on what he has faced. It's based not on where we stand, but it's based on where he sits. Because we are one with Christ. Our reality is one of being in the fullness of the authority that he has. Of course, Jesus in Matthew 28, he commissions us in his way. And he says, all all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All authority is mine, Jesus says. That's why you can go. And so we can live our lives as believers who are under heavenly authority. In 1 Peter 3, we're encouraged that Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subject to him. We can live in authority. This is our source. Uh, perhaps there's something of a secret to kingdom authority as well. It's not so much of a secret, but it, it seems rather less well-known and certainly less popular because authority is actually linked to obedience. In verse 8, again, the centurion said, If I say to one, go, and he, then he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to a servant, do this, and he does it. Authority is linked to obedience. If there's no obedience, then there comes to be a disconnect from the source of authority. Naturally speaking, we resist being under someone's authority. But God doesn't give kingdom authority to rebels. He simply doesn't. I want to ask you this evening, you know, are you trying to live as part of two kingdoms? Are you trying to live as part of the kingdom of this world and live as part of the kingdom of God? Are you trying to live under your own authority as well as under the authority of God? Something's got to give. Ultimately, one kingdom will subjugate the other. One authority will edge the other out. God will not give his authority to rebels. Is your life submitted to him? In Jesus' life on earth, he shows us exactly what it was to live under authority. He lived under the authority of his earthly parents. He lived under the authority and the direction of the Holy Spirit. He lived under the authority submitting to the will of the Father. He lived according to the word of God. Nothing that he did or said was was made up in the moment. No, no, no. He fulfilled the word of God. And he chose to operate under the authority of the government of the day. Not seeking a, an earthly human rebellion, even though people asked it of him, but rather seeking the will of his Father in all things. What does obedient authority look like? It's not a look at me authority, it's not a heavy handed authority, it's not an authority that gains at the expense of others. The centurion, he was entitled to have a slave under the rules of his society. Yet the Bible is at pains to show us that he is concerned for him. Somebody who is not his equal, not by a long stretch according to society, but he's willing to go out of his way to seek the very best for this person. That's a good exercise of authority. 
A good exercise of authority says, actually, my authority is for the good of those who have no authority in this circumstance or in this society. Has God blessed you in any way? Recognize that what he does to you, he wants to do through you. Recognize that the blessings of God upon your life are for those who don't have. Recognize that when God gives you favor, that when God gives you authority, when God gives you a voice, when God gives you opportunity, it's so that you can use that voice and use that opportunity for those who have not. Who are you highly valuing? If you want to exercise kingdom authority, you've got to know your place. And, and, and here's the joy of it. Because your place is in the loving arms of the King of Kings. Oh, that's a good place to be. Do you know your place? This is no put down. This is do you recognize that apart from God, you can do nothing. But if you're in him, oh my goodness, what can you do? Where can you go? How can you live? Oh my goodness. Uh, to be in God is to say, I know who I am. <laughs> because I know that my Redeemer lives. And this is all that really matters. As a source of kingdom authority, there's a secret in obedience. And, and actually our kingdom authority has, has a reach. When God gives us authority, he gives us spiritual authority. Again, Jesus in Luke's gospel commissioned some of his disciples and, and he commissioned them in the things of the spiritual realm. In Luke 10, Jesus says to those reporting what God has been doing, a bit like you heard reports tonight. And, and Jesus receives reports just like that from those who have been on the mission of God. And he says to them this, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. As far as I'm aware, there aren't that many serpents and scorpions on the Wirral. How can we apply the authority that Jesus Christ has given to us in the world in which we're living? Serpents and scorpions, it's kind of shorthand for negative, dangerous things. Where are you seeing negative, dangerous things in your environment? Where are you seeing it? Are you seeing it in the neglect of kids? Are you seeing it in the isolation of the elderly? Are you seeing it in brokenness of relationship? Are you seeing it in poverty? Are you seeing it in, in, in the lack of resource within education or other spheres in our life? Where are you seeing brokenness? Where are you seeing dangerous things rear up their ugly head to try and destroy the lives and the aspirations of the people in this world? God is saying to you, I've given you authority to trample on that. The spirits that are bringing brokenness and hurt and agony into our world. You know, we live in a world where folks are just wrestling with mental health conditions. Does anybody want to stamp on those scorpions? All authority, all authority. And just as God, first of all, gave Adam authority over the physical realm, and just as at the end of all things there will be full spiritual authority, we'll come back to that in a bit. We don't see everything just yet, but in this day and age there is authority. Again, looking at what Peter wrote, Second Peter chapter one, His divine power has granted to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You know, don't diminish your ambition. 
You know, it is true, absolutely true, that God is able to and wishes to do more in us than we can ask for or imagine. So I'm not saying that we're ever going to quite get our head around all of this. But I am saying that it isn't all of this. Everything, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let's not go into tomorrow saying, absolutely, I believe that God can do A, B, and C, but he definitely can't do D. That's how we live. And yet the authority that God wants to work in our lives is an authority for every situation, for everything, for every possibility, for every place, at every time. And lastly, there's a strength in the authority of God's kingdom. Our centurion, he understood the strength of authority. You, know, you don't rise to that kind of rank, do you, if you've been kind of mucking about with authority. If, you know, some of the time you thought, yeah, I'm willing to submit myself. And other times you thought, oh, I'm, ju- I'm just going to, you know, ignore the general today. You don't rise. You don't get promoted if you have no respect for authority, if there's no consistency within you. The centurion recognized that. Strength for the Christian life comes in the strangest possible way. Strength for the Christian life comes from Surrender. We live in a world that tells us that we can be strong by by gaining. If we gain, you know, accumulate wealth, if we gain qualification or experience, if we gain acquaintance, relationship, if we gain, gain and gain and accumulate to the extent that, you know, we're, we're told that, you know, we need to be in the gym all the time, getting those kind of gains as well. And, you know, it's all about accumulation. It's not to say that these things in and of themselves might be bad. The strength for your Christian life comes from none of those things. Strength for your Christian life comes from one place and one place only, from surrendering to Jesus. If you're knowing weakness, I would suggest to you, you know, the the first place we should go to is to say, is this area of my life in the hands of God? Not that we might be condemned and feel that we cannot come to God, but that we might be convicted and know that we must come to God. And he gives us a gracious invitation. Our spiritual strength comes from being surrendered to Jesus. What did those Jewish leaders say about the centurion? They said, he is worthy. What did the centurion say about himself? I am not worthy. Who had the right idea? We don't receive God's grace in salvation or in healing or in anything else because we are worthy, but because he is worthy. Yet Jesus is intrigued about this man. He responds to the way this man has lived amongst the Jews and blessed them. You know, this morning, many of us, we've been out and about in our neighborhoods and communities. We've been looking for people like this centurion. That's what we've been doing. We've been saying there are people of peace and, and that they're wanting to recognize Jesus. When the centurion heard about him, someone told him. Someone told him. He built a temple. Sorry, he built a synagogue. You don't build a synagogue just for the sake of it. You build it for people because they were living with him. 
They were demonstrating to him what it looked like to follow the one true God. Christians, I want to say, there are centurions in our world and they're looking for us to show them what it looks like to follow the one true God. There are centurions in our world and they're the conduits for us to get to people who are at the point of death. And they're waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus. Because people like that, when they hear about Jesus, they'll recognize the authority, they'll know the possibility, and they'll send for him straight away. Christians, have got to stop hanging around amongst other Christians and telling us how good it is that we found Jesus once upon a time. Where's your centurion? Because they're likely as not connected to people who are on the point of death, and they need you to go and tell them about Jesus because he is their only hope. He is their only hope. Have you found your centurion? Have you found, you're gonna go out from here looking for people dressed up in Roman outfits, aren't you? Now, come on, have you found your person of peace? Have you found the people who are willing to welcome this truth? This is about surrendering to Jesus because this is his purpose in the world. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's what he came for. How about us? What's your purpose in life? What's your purpose? Your singular purpose in life. I love it, you know, to read catechism because I'm a bit weird. You knew that about me. It's not very Pentecostal, is it? But there you go. Here's the answer that some folks came up with in the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Come on, what is your purpose in this life? Do you want to know God and see his glory spread out everywhere in this world? If you do, then go find yourself a centurion. Go find yourself a centurion. Honestly, you know, I've been opening up the Bible with you for a little while now. But to be honest, you don't really need me to share these things with you, do you? These are reminders These are prompts. Please guard these are little jabs in the rib. Go find your centurion. Here's something profound that the centurion understood. Authority is different from power. Power resides in a person alone, but authority comes from an office. One last reference to football. You watch a football pitch, don't you? And the football players, they get bigger and bigger and bigger these days, don't they? Largely. Um, there are still, you know, the occasional absolute genius like Messi who's a bit smaller and can do anything. But uh, they're, they're pretty big. They're powerful physical specimens oftentimes, fit and strong, can run for 90 minutes straight. But the real authority on the pitch doesn't lie in the power of any one of those people. It's in the only person who's not wearing a football kit. And there he is, and he'll be probably the oldest person on the pitch or towards the end. And he won't be the biggest or strongest on the pitch. And what he's got is a little whistle and a couple of cards and a book. Because authority resides in the office. You can be as powerful as you want. But we need to be the little guy. The little guy who receives authority from the one who decrees it to us. Jesus gives us authority. Our strength comes from his authority. You know, it's time. It's time that we start to live in the authority that God has for us. It's time that we actually go and find our centurions, find the people on the point of death, and start to speak life in this world. 
It's time. It's time. A few weeks ago, I said to you as a church, I said we're going to be embarking upon a journey of looking at the work of God in the miraculous and in healings. And I said, and I remember saying it, I said, go and find people who need that and bring them. And not to put too fine a point on it, this evening, none of us have. I want to ask you again, church, recognize the authority that you're operating under and start to live it out. Start to live it out. There are folks at the point of death, spiritually, naturally as well. They need us to live in the authority that God has granted to us. You might say this is all well and good, Greg. We live in a world where we recognize that Jesus has won the ultimate victory on the cross and yet the world seems so broken and we live in this tension and sometimes it's really hard. There's much to come. We know that it is only when Jesus comes again that we'll see the total renewal and restoration of all things. Some of you, in your own bodies, you're living with that tension, knowing that Jesus Christ has risen. He's risen glorious, and he is a healer, and you know these things, and yet within your own bodies, you wrestle with aches and pains and woundedness and sickness and disease. We wrestle with these things. Even though we wrestle with these things, we must recognize that living in the now and the not yet doesn't mean that we, still, that we get to live in the kingdoms of this world and of God's world. We can live in the one tension, but you can't live in the other tension. You can't live as somebody who says, I belong to the kingdom of God and I belong to the kingdom of this world. I wonder, and I know I've for some, spoken for some time, but I just want to share a little story with you as we draw to a close and thanks Ron it's a story I was reading written by a lady named Christine Kane and she was describing this story and and how she and her spirit felt prompted and and she she says her husband and and she they were running through the aisles of a, a supermarket they had to do some chores and they were pulling their daughter Sophia along with them. And she says, as we were making our way to the checkout, maneuvering to the front of the store, we passed a huge four-sided display of flashlights. Sophia was with us, and at the time, she was obsessed with flashlights. Industrial ones, Barbie ones, little ones, big ones, any kind of flashlight. She carried them in her purse, in her backpack, even hid them in her bed under her pillow. She loved the different patterns each one made on her bedroom ceiling long after she was tucked in for the night. Looking through all the different flashlights, Sophia picked out the one she thought would work best. The one she seemed to think was different from all the others she already possessed, and she flicked on the switch. Staring into the light, even when they cut their hands around it, Christine says, we strained to see as best we could, but none of us could see even a little glow from the flashlight. The giant fluorescent lights of the store were too bright, 
and the flashlight's meager light was swallowed up. Oh, mummy, Sophia pleaded. Can we please go find some darkness? Can we please go find some darkness? From the mouths of babes comes the wisdom of Christ. Aren't you profoundly challenged by such a question? Can we please go find some darkness? You know, here we are, and, and because Jesus loves me, he's granted me the illustration of this room bathed in light, just to prove the point. Here we are, absolutely bathed in light. Bathed in the light, not just of this room, but of our worship of God. Isn't it great to sing his praises together? Bathed in the light of opening up the scriptures and seeing his life-giving wisdom and hope pour out from every page. We're bathed in the light of the Spirit of God who has promised to be with us and is with us because he never breaks a promise. We're bathed in the light of Christian community. We're bathed in encouragement one to another. We're bathed tonight in testimony of God's faithfulness. We're bathed in so many ways. You can receive prayer. You can spend time with one another. You can engage with the things of God in this place. We are bathed in the light. And my final hope for us this evening would be, can we please go find some darkness? Can we please go find some darkness? You have such authority in Christ Jesus and you live in a world that so desperately needs him. Can you, bearers of the light, please go find some darkness and shine with all the authority that Jesus Christ has given to you? Perhaps you close your eyes for a moment or two.